Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and you have tuned into the after episode of a two-part birth story. When we last met today's guest, she was super swollen, 38 weeks pregnant, and starting to freak out about birth. Today, as I sit across from her, not a hint of swelling, and now only one of us has a giant belly. <laughs> Gillian Sure, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. Oh, my goodness. First of all, speaking of having your back, I saw you yesterday. Yeah. Uh, for the first time since you popped your kid out, and we deliberately didn't say anything about birth, so I can find out about it with the audience fresh. That's right. So let's go back to the last time we were sitting here in the studio. You, I think you were 38 weeks pregnant. How'd the end go down? I mean, the end is no joke, and I think just nature does it perfectly because I had a pretty easy pregnancy, and I was definitely daunted about the prospect of pushing that large object out of that very small hole. But by the end of it, you're so uncomfortable that you don't care what you have to go through to get it out. I think it's designed like that. Did the large object, small passageway concept, is that something you ever thought about before you were pregnant? Of course I did, but I know it's a necessary evil. But the reality of it. I'm just asking because that struck me like I think I was like nine maybe or eight when I figured out where babies come from. I was like, oh, does it get out of (laughs) Like the babies are big and. Don't they need a better door? So I just wondered if as a girl that occurred to you, like when you figured out where babies come from. No, I have this vivid memory of watching Roseanne when I was a kid. And one of the kids was pregnant at a certain point or somebody on the show was pregnant. I don't remember. And she had that freak out where she looked down at her belly and was like, how is that getting out of of my body? Uh, And I was like, oh, yeah, that stuck with me. Back then. Yeah, back then. Yeah, and then I remember at the end of pregnancy, you were 38 weeks, you said you were just starting to get a little freaked out about the whole thing. I was, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like now on the other side of it, this is a good time to do, I, I wish I'd almost done it a little earlier, the second one, because your brain systematically tries to erase the, mm-hmm. the trauma destroy the evidence. birth. Yeah, it tries to destroy the evidence, <laughs> okay. I think. Well, based on just that phrase alone, I'm guessing at one point you said, when I asked you what it might be like, you said, well, maybe it'll just be two pushes and it'll be over. So It was not that. It was not that. Okay, so at least we know that. Okay, so to start with, I tested positive for vagina oh. strep, <laughs> for uh, strep Vagina <laughs> strep. Uh, Which I think strep. is hilarious that your vagina can get can strep. Can get strep, yeah. I would say I was lazy in like the protocol. You know, I was taking my probiotics, so I thought I wouldn't get it. And I had been told in my hypnobirthing class to put garlic in your vagina and do all this stuff beforehand to really make sure that you didn't get strep B. Um, Oh, even before you test? Yeah, before you test. Just everybody should roast garlic? Everyone should roast the garlic. That's (laughs) such a gross way to put it. Gross. But yes, but but you put literally whole cloves of garlic in your vagina. Peeled. Peeled. Three days before. And you continue taking probiotics. And how things. long? Do you, I mean, once you're sharing your protocol, how long was it recommended to you that you leave it? Uh, overnight. Oh, overnight. Yeah, and then you take it out. Does that leave a lingering garlic? It might. Situation? You might. You smell. don't know because you didn't do it. I didn't do it. She did warn that you will probably smell a lot like garlic. But hmm. the benefit of it is that the problem with testing positive for strep B, if you're having a hospital birth, as I'm sure a lot of your people here have told you, mm-hmm. is that you are required in the hospital then to get a stent and to get an IV with antibiotics throughout your delivery. So we're going to do an episode with all professionals about uh, medical people on uh, groupie strep at some point. Oh, good. You just brought it up. so. Oh, I wish I had listened to it. 
You can come co-host it. Okay. And, I would love to. But long story short, basically, this is the basic Wikipedia right. rundown. There are different types of bacteria. One of them falls into the category of group B, Streptococcus. Right. GBS. And a lot of people have that as adults. We have it living in our gut. Totally normal. Um, doesn't doesn't affect you. us in a nope. bad way. But the neighborhood where the gut opens up is very close to the birth neighborhood. Right. And sometimes it jumps over and forms a not an infection, just a colony of group B strep in the vagina. So at 37 weeks, they usually swab, a little vaginal rectal swab. Check out if you have a colony in there. If you do, because of the concern that when the baby pushes through there or spends a lot of time, especially on a first birth, it can spend a lot of time in there uh, moving through the birth canal, then they will become exposed to it and could cause an infection for them. So pretty typical protocol in U.S. hospitals is check for it. And if you have it, give you IV antibiotics every four hours once active labor starts. So I was already very bummed about this because I'm weirdly claustrophobic, like I'm not claustrophobic necessarily in small spaces, but I'm claustrophobic when I can't get away from something. So like being attached to an being IV. Being attached to an IV oh. for me is very uncomfortable. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Because you said stent. I assume you meant the Heplock. Oh, that's what I meant. Yes. Heplock. So, Sorry. so essentially they poke a hole in a vein, they stick a little catheter that's vein-like in there, pull the needle out, and then put a little heparin in there to keep it Correct. from clotting. And it's just taped onto you, but you're not really connected to anything. Does that alone make you feel That more? alone makes me feel claustrophobic. Oh, really? okay. So let's say I hadn't tested positive for strep B, then you know, some people, they try to get you the Heplock when you first get into the hospital anyway because then if you need fluids it's easy to get but I wasn't going to do that I was going to I was going to opt out of that so that was disappointing to I'm me sorry. initially already already mm. so do you want me to jump into birth or do we have questions well no i mean you found that out at the so very I found that end. Out weeks before some doctors i know very few actually will let you retest my doctor does not let you retest okay so, so meaning if you find out you still could have 2 3 4 weeks before birth Maybe then you could roast garlic and yes. do the probiotic and tea tree oil, whatever Correct. things, and then retest. But the concern there, I believe, is that just because you're testing negative doesn't mean – maybe you're tricking the test. Maybe there Correct. still is bacteria. So they once you're positive, you're treated as positive no matter what. Yep. Okay. So you knew that was going to happen. You were going to have yep. the Heplock and antibiotics. Yeah. Um, when in relation to your due date did things start happening? Uh, not for a week afterwards. So I was due on the 23rd. So then things started happening on the 30th. On the 30th. Uh, literally a week. Uh, so 41 weeks. Yeah. And your doctor's pretty cool about going past He was day. so cool. There was no pressure. He would have let me go well into two weeks. I mean, over two weeks, I think. As long not as nothing worried. else comes up. As long up. as nothing else comes up, he was not concerned, okay. which and I really appreciated. Okay. How did you feel going past your due date? Some I didn't get, care at all. I had yeah. no expectation that my due date, I placed no value on the due date other than it was an idea of the round the time that the baby was going to come. Okay. So you're chill. So I was chill. I mean, I was swollen, I was swollen you know, I was ready, but, yeah, but chill. the limbo of it sort of gets to you. you know? Did you have any false alarms? Like maybe that's it? And then it wasn't no, nothing. because okay. I had no labor until my water broke. Oh, let's talk about that. Okay. So that's what happened on 41 weeks. 
So 41 weeks, four in the morning. So my brilliant doula had told me to get Depends, which I recommend to everyone. So you have them in the house. Oh, I'm making my uh, Depends, Depends sponsor podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or sorry. Um, so no. I don't even know like the <laughs> non-brand. Care. No, I'll reach like, out to Depends. Yeah. Why not give them a free plug? I mean, um, you liked it, obviously. Uh, genuine testimony. Genuine testimony before and after birth. Mm-hmm. Much better than the weird wicker not wicked, oh, the ones the hospital give you? They're horrible. The, uh, yeah, it's like gauze pad underwear. Yeah. But the Depends are like disposable but yeah. underwear. I mean, They're comfortable. And yeah, it's dare like I a say garment. a tad sexy. Oh, my God. You no. like them? No. No. <laughs> um, okay, so four in the morning, I get like a little, mm, like a little twing, and I'm walking to the bathroom, and like a little bit of water comes off, and I'm like, I think my water's breaking. I go to the bathroom. Definitely water's breaking. But not that much. It wasn't like a flood. So my doula had told me to lay back down, and she had warned me this might happen. So put on the Depends. And the minute I got into bed, I laid back, and it was much more water. Ooh, what time? What uh, time? This is 4 a.m. 4 a.m. That's what you said that already. Yeah. I'm, I'm... So then I go into the bathroom, and there's merconium. Oh. Merconium. You knew what to look for. Yes. You could just see it on the Depends? I could see it on the Depends. And meconium, if your viewers or your listeners don't know, is just a fancy word for... Poop. Poop. Baby poop. Baby poop. In the fluid. Yeah. Which is not terribly uncommon. No, 25%. It's not uncommon at all. It's not a big deal. Other than the fact, this is bummer number two. Uh Uh-oh, don't tell me it was pea soup. Well, no, you have to go to the hospital Oh, sooner. Okay. Well, but did you judge the meconium? Like, is this because there's different... I sent a picture to my doula. Okay. Which is a horrifying yeah. thing to yeah. photograph, There's my the kid's way. first poop, by the right. way, on my defense. It was not great. <laughs> and I would not show my husband. I How could like, defense not sponsor a podcast after this story? <laughs> I would not show my husband. I just described it to him. Certain <laughs> things you got to... Sir, you got to draw the yeah. line. So we had this little booklet, so we knew what to do. And we knew that if you have, there's meconium. Listen, even if I had planned to have a home birth, mm-hmm. if you have meconium and you have to go to the hospital anyway. Yeah. Well, it just, uh, just depends. Right? I mean, different midwives, but this is the other thing about the thing. Just because you have meconium, it doesn't mean there's a problem. No, so, not at all. It just means that they want to uh, monitor. Closer evaluation. So. so that's a bummer because I really wanted to stay at home for a long time. So this is oh, why. Oh, right. I, that's what we talked about. You said right. originally you had talked about, I'm the kind of more I think of a home birth girl, but I'll just do home labor. Right. And then go to the hospital at the very end. So, so far you have number one groupie strep. So as soon Correct. as your water breaks, really, even with no meconium, you would have sort of had to go is what your doctor would have wanted. Right. And now you have the meconium. But my one question before we go a little break, did the meconium get graded or judged as being like a lot and thick or not that bad? And, it was and, a lot. Oh, it was a lot. Not like pea soup. I don't know. Yeah, kind of. I mean, there was no mistaking that it was meconium. It was meconium. All yeah. right. Well. And on, and on that clip. I'm hanging on the cliff I myself. Mean. <laughs> Let's go away and come right back and get to the next step of the story. See, I'm glad we didn't talk about it yesterday. <laughs> oh. I don't like how this is starting. Well, it's a happy ending. I don't like how this is starting for you. That's not what I envisioned for you. It was not what I envisioned for me either. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. (laughs) Hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, 
Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Gillian Schur, and whoa, after all the planning for your labor <laughs> and wanting to labor at home for a long time and go to the hospital at the end, you already, just right out of the gate, are not given the greatest right. you know, factors for that type of birth. So no. you're groupie strep positive, it's four something in the morning, your water breaks, and it's full of meconium. Right. What so we go to next? the hospital, and the, our doula was so wonderful, she even beat us to the hospital and they check you in and triage. And immediately, having a doula is so helpful because you just, I've never done this before, I don't know anything. And the thing about hospitals, and I don't want this to be an anti-hospital message, it's not, but they do what's right for them. They have a way of doing things. They have a way of doing things. For instance, the resident came in and my doula said, you never have to see that person again, you can just work with the midwife. And I would have never known that. Mm-hmm. And so they have midwives on staff at the hospital. And so I never had to work with the new resident who's just doing their random rounds around, you know. So the only person who I had interactions with was the midwife from that point on. So I guess it's worth noting you, that particular hospital is a teaching hospital. Right. But it's a private hospital as well. So they, you have the option. Some of the doctors don't work with residents at all. Some of them do. But you always have the option to not have the resident be present at all Mm -hmm. or to be present for observation only and not do any of the techniques, but just be able to be a fly in the wall and learn from watching other people. And everybody feels different about it, and there's no right or wrong. And and at different times in your journey, you might want it or not want it, and it's totally okay. But that hospital also has one other option is they always have midwives on staff to do those types of things. That's great. And there's still actually nurses that take a training. They're hospital nurses that take a training to be a midwife at a hospital. So it's not like ideologically like an actual home birth midwife. Well, there's different kinds but, of midwives. These are right. nurse midwives. Yes. So they become registered Correct. nurses first, and then they do Correct. advanced training to become nurse midwives. Right. But for me, that was that was the better option than having the resident yeah. for me. So then we got into the room, and we had this really beautiful room, and it was very bright. And in hindsight, I wish I had made it darker and... We talked about the candles. I know, but it, but I guess I thought I'd be there at night, you oh. know, but it was like, you know, we had this incredible room, you know, the view of the Hollywood Hills and it was Which just room? by luck. Remember? What? Which room? I don't remember. You don't remember what room number? No. Mm. See, you're already destructing all the details. Right? I know. All right. Um, so you're in one. So we're in the room. Did so it have a tub? I know you couldn't use no. it, but. Oh, so it, it wasn't. A, so you had a good view, but no tub. Okay. Yeah. View, but no tub. And they said with the meconium, I couldn't use the tub anyway, so it was a better situation. And so then I started to labor, and 
I was connected to this thing, and I also had the fetal monitor that they have on. You know, I asked for the wireless one, but it wasn't working, so they oh, gave really? me a sort of wireless one with this weird bag that I had to carry oh, around. Oh, the electric box. Yeah. Okay, hold on, because you're doing things that only I can see. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the thing that you're connected to, I guess, was oh, the yes, IV. Oh, of course. So yeah. they, they put your Heplock, and they, put they the Heplock, give you the antibiotics? Give me the antibiotics. But then just a Heplock. You're not connected to a pole after that. Well, Right, unless I was getting the IV, right. IV fluid or another dose of antibiotics. Right. So you have that, and then you have the monitors around your belly. Correct. Which probably, if you're claustrophobic, those don't feel amazing either. Not great. And then instead of having that little tiny Bluetooth box, you have this big, heavy thing that you either put around your neck and wear it or whatever. So for somebody who's not wanting to be inhibited and restricted and connected, it was a lot of cords. Okay. And so I started to labor in the waves, contractions, whatever, waves, um, surges were very intense for a very long time. They were very far apart. So you could see other people's, there's a monitor in the room. Mm -hmm. And my husband said that you can look at other people's monitors because when the nurse comes in, they're still monitoring other women in other rooms. And like my surges would be like mesas. If you know what a mesa is, it's a big flat mountain Uh where other people would have peaks. Peaks and valleys. So mine would just be very long at the height of it and then go down. So So giant plateaus. Very long plateaus. Like how long were they lasting? Do you remember? More than a minute? Yeah, more than a minute. Oh, wow. And so they were really painful, but they would be five minutes apart, eight minutes apart, five minutes apart, three minutes apart, but they never got regular. And so after 12 hours, let's see. So they tried to get me to get Pitocin initially. When I first was doing triage, when I first got to the hospital, they wanted me to do Pitocin, and I said no. I wanted a natural childbirth. That was my goal was to have a natural childbirth. Yeah. Um, so and you I said s- specifically no Pitocin, among other reasons, you didn't want to interfere with the hormones that are bonding hormones with the baby. It's very important to me, right. And so my doctor kept telling me I, I was going to need to do the Pitocin. But the problem was now after six hours, the surges were so intense that Pitocin would have just made them worse. Mm-hmm. So then I made it to, let's see, it was six in the morning to six at night. So it was 12 hours of labor that wasn't getting anywhere. I was two centimeters dilated at that point. And oh, I'm going to cry thinking about it. I couldn't go any longer. I knew that I wouldn't be able to do that for another, even if they gave me Pitocin without the epidural, I couldn't go another six hours. That's how long it would have taken with that amount of pain. So I opted for the Pitocin and the epidural at that point. 12 hours in and it was really hard and my doula was so wonderful about it and my husband was so wonderful and they were it was just it was the right thing at the time and you know are you always hear these things like you don't always get the birth you want but you get the birth you need and I think that was true with me because I have a particularly hard time asking for help and this was like I had to sort of humble myself and receive this epidural that I really didn't want and so I, I did the epidural and went to sleep. I got some rest. It's pretty crazy. I mean, you know, and you don't even feel the contractions after that or the surges. And so that was at 6 at night. And then around 1 in the morning, it felt like things were happening. And the epidural was so intense, though. My leg was completely 
dead, had no movement, like my husband had to hold my leg up. I mean, I've seen people who are claustrophobic freak out about that. It wasn't great. From a claustrophobia perspective or just in general, just not feeling your legs at all? in general, not feeling your legs at all. And also just not having mobility is not great. So then around one or two things started to really dilate and started to get moved and then... How did you know if you can't feel anything? Um, I think they were checking. Did they just must randomly have been check checking. your cervix, or did your contractions turn into the peaks and valleys you were looking for? They must have. To be okay. honest, I I don't remember. I was so high. I mean, mm. you're on you're on these crazy drugs. Yeah. So when it came down to start pushing, it was crazy because they ask you to push, and you have so little feeling. You almost have to remember what pushing is like, and then just sort of. <laughs> pretend like you're doing that in your head and you actually do successfully push. My body knew what to do. And so then they took down the epidural. So I actually felt the labor. I oh, was they at, decreased it they down decreased. to like push dose or? Yeah. So I really felt the... You felt the, the contractions or the pushing or both? Everything. Oh. Yeah. At the end. But I found it horrible with the epidural. I mean, my body was violently shaking, and I that might happen with or without the Could epidural. Could just be hormones. Could just also, be hormones, yeah. Hormones. You know, it's violently shaking. I was able to push her up. I had a small two-stitch tear, which isn't bad. But when they put her on me, you know, I just think it's important to talk about this because I feel like people always say, like, it's just, everyone told us, like, oh, when they give you your baby, your whole life changes. And, you know, to my husband, like, you're going to know what it means to be a father and you're going to know your life will have purpose. And we were both like, well, certainly I'll speak for myself. Like, I was so high and they put this baby on me and it was exactly as I was afraid of with the drugs is I did not feel connected to this baby. Oh. I knew I loved her and I sort of and I was not connected. And it, it was so sad. But also on the bright side, I had a totally healthy baby. I was healthy. Everyone was healthy. And at the end of the day, however you birth your kid, whether you have a cesarean or a natural or not natural or like unmedicated or medicated, the goal is you have a healthy baby and the mom has healthy and gets out of it. So really, I had to have gratitude for that. And I do. Well, I don't know if you remember in our pre-episode yeah. or before episode while you're still swollen and preggo, <laughs> I think the last question before we ended the episode, after you talked about, here's the birth that you laid out, as I recall it, go into labor peacefully at home, labor <laughs> with your husband, you know, labor with your doula, stay at home as long as we get in the tub, have the glowy okay. candles, really feel it and be able to like surrender to it and let it grow and intensify with you. And then towards the very end, just go to the hospital and just push your baby out. Yeah. Right. I asked her at the very end of that, do you, though, hold space for the fact that the plan might go differently, that things might not go exactly according to the plan? And you said at that time, and it sounded really genuine, you said, of course. I know in my heart of hearts that having a healthy baby is going to be the most important thing to me. That is my number one goal. And I know my plan might change and that I surrounded myself. I'm putting myself in your shoes. I surrounded myself with a doctor who I trust and who doesn't really jump on interventions typically, and a doula who I trust and feel very safe around, and my husband who I feel very safe around, 
And if things have to go more interventive or down a different path than I was hoping to take, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. So. And you sit here saying, I'm holding a healthy baby, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I did, and I'm obsessed with my baby now. You know, it's a, I'm obsessed I just think, with your baby. I know. I just think it's nice to be honest with women that you go into a different dimension. It's so powerful. It's so wild. And it might not be this hallmark moment at the other side of it, and that's okay. Sometimes you need to get to know this. There's like a new person in your life, and you need to spend some time with them. And the baby has so much need in the beginning. It's just... Whoa, I think. Let's take a break and come back and talk about that phase. Okay. Okay? Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Gillian Schur. All right, so just to close up your birth. Yeah. I mean, you felt pushing. Yeah. But you didn't like pushing just because you felt so medicated. Well, I don't know if anyone likes pushing. I mean... I don't know. Even though it's really intense and difficult, some people have described it as exhilarating because all of labor, you're just waiting, waiting, surrendering, not able to do anything active. And then finally, you're able to push and do something, physically be a part of moving the baby down through you. And B, I think some people tap into the fact that you're doing it together. Like it's your heartbeat and the baby's heartbeat and how they change during a surge, how they change during a push. And like you're doing that together. I would say I was not that aware. I wish I had felt more of that partnership in the moment. First of all, I will say there's a real issue with me with the hospitals is because there is meconium, there's also rules that they have to have extra doctors in the room for whatever reason. A pediatric team. Yes, there's a pediatric team. And for some reason, at one point I look up and there's just some random dude standing in front of my vagina watching me. And I was like, get out of here. And like... People, they just forget that this is a personal, private moment. And I find it so callous how they treat women in that stage. Like, just because I'm giving birth, I don't care that there's a strange man staring at my vagina. And I'm not a modest person, but still, like... Well, it's a a very intimate moment. It's a very intimate moment. What you're saying, actually, now I'm playing through all the births that I've been to, right? And I feel like... A lot of women get to a point where they really don't give a crap what's going on. They're just on another planet. And for these people, it's their all-day, everyday job. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it gets to a point where people in that room just become so, like, you could be a car being repaired, and they're just looking at the radiator, you know. Right. The radiator doesn't care. But my radiator is a vagina, and it's, you know, it's mine. And also, it's it's a intimate moment. It's a, it's not like a voyeuristic experience for me. It no, I'm agreeing that. with you a thousand yeah, percent. Yeah, no, I agree. With I you. could see how in right. that hospital setting, especially, it just becomes so oh, commonplace 100%. that, and for a lot of women that just don't care at that point anymore. Right. I can't tell you how many women have said, "Can you come to my birth and work with me up until pushing, massage me, help me, coach me until pushing, and then leave." I get that 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll leave whenever you want me to. Right. If you change your mind, don't want me to leave. Or I go the other way. I'm like, if you decide you want me to leave way before then, kick me out. I don't care. 
But actually, what usually ends up happening in those cases is we'll get to pushing. I'll say, hey, you're doing amazing. I'm going to go now. And they'll say, you can't leave. Don't go. Well, it's also different. They have a professional relationship with you. They have a trust with you. They Totally, they 100%. Also, you know I mean? So even more so, like, it's almost, I think, because we know each other that they might right. want me to leave. Totally. I'm not just a random person that they'll never see again. But then in the moment, a lot of people at some point that just disappears. And it's like, whoever's here to help me and help my baby, just gather around. Right. But for a lot of people, it's not like that. Right. And so I think that's one of the things, if you're having a hospital birth, to think through the birth plan is those people around you, your doula, your partner. Because you may not be in the frame of mind to even say something. I don't know if you did or not. You said you did. But you may not be in the frame right. of mind to say something, but you could be thinking it and feeling it, and it could really affect your birth and yeah. mind and body. I mean, the bottom line is you're pretty liberal, open, yeah. not that shy, and it had that effect on you. So for somebody else who's a little more conservative and shy right. and, and private and modest, then you know it's something I think about before... Yeah, I think so. Before you get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, did you push for a long time? No, it wasn't that long, maybe half an hour. Yeah, that's not bad on your first kid. And then also, how about that after stuff, the placenta delivery and... Um, well, there was a small discrepancy with me and my doctor. Well, who, well, he had been great in a lot of different ways. I had asked for a delayed cord clamping and he cut it after a minute and a half. Oh, really? And he was like, your baby's going to have jaundice. And I was very upset about that but I'm sorry again healthy baby you know but it was a frustrating moment and if I have another it's, it's so funny afterwards I was like why how are, no one I would never have another kid and already I'm like well when we have my next kid <laughs> <laughs> that's why but I would have destroying all these details I would have a conversation with him before again and uh-huh. say you know this is something that's important to me is this something that you're not willing to negotiate on and that can be his right but I was very frustrated because it was very clear about what I I'm surprised. I mean, usually he so does not care whatever you want goes. Yeah. So there was that. All right, let's talk about motherhood. Okay. You come home. You did not instantly feel that, like, oh, my God, I'm a mother. No, I felt like it's all who changed. dropped off this baby? Oh. And that's partly my personality is it takes me a minute to attach to things, I would say. But even more so, I was like, I really was like, did we adopt this baby? <laughs> Who? Where did it come from? Oh. Even now, sometimes I feel like that. Yeah. But he spent a lot of time with her, and she's really funny, and she's really Shocker. cute. And I got to know her, and I did fall in love with her. It just took me a little time, and I think that's okay. And I just it's totally want, okay. No, I just wish people would sort of talk about that. It's not this instantaneous for everyone. For, for everyone, some people it no, is. that's what I mean. For, for, for everyone, and it's wildly difficult when you get home with a baby. You're so raw. We made the mistake of we had, not the mistake, but okay. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but it was a mistake. We had both of our mothers in town mm-hmm. at the and, same time. At the same time, and. That first week, especially, I was so raw. I was raw emotionally, physically, spiritually, like very thin. The separation between what you just went through, which is so magical, but so very hard. And my vagina was hurting, and my body was crazy, and my nipples hurt. And I didn't have the energy to give to visitors. And they were there. And it was very hard to have people in my space. I also did the thing where I intentionally kept 
the fourth trimester very slow. I stayed at home almost all of the time. I basically didn't leave the house except for a couple doctor's appointments and very few things. Did that work well for you? For me, it worked very well. Yes. Good. And I'm someone who usually leaves, is always doing a thousand things, and I really didn't get stir crazy until the very end, which was about right. And then I was ready to come out. Out of the cave. Out of the cave. And here you are. And here I am. So I guess we could say your baby is how many weeks now? Uh, three and a half months. So three and a half months. So that's just in case listeners are wondering mm. how removed you are from the story. Yeah, I'm pretty... Podcast magic. Last time we spoke to you, you were about to pop, and now it's been three and a half months. And she's a really easy baby, too. Did feeding go well for you? Well, first of all, if men had to have babies, there would be a population of zero. No offense. They would never do it. It is so wildly hard. I believe myself and almost all my friends would have a maximum of one. Max one. But what really would happen is we'd see our buddy do it, and we're like, there's no way we're doing that. No. And no one would breastfeed. Breastfeeding is very hard. Hard to Uh, get used to or still hard? No, no, now it's fine. I remember a girlfriend of mine, when I asked her about breastfeeding, she goes, yeah, about two months, it's fine. And at that point, I was two weeks in, and I said, two months? Oh, my God, for the love of God. Like, I was in so much pain. I genuinely feel like most women tell me you are 100% sure you're going to quit at least twice. Oh, for sure. Before you made Actually, it. that's not true. I actually never thought I was going to quit. Never? Oh. The only time I thought I had this thing called vasospasm, which Ooh. is, you want to describe that, Doc? Well, I've never felt it. You describe it. It's basically like when your knuckles are cold in the winter and it's basically like getting frostbite on your nipples. Yeah. It's like the blood vessels don't get. Do you have Raynaud's in, in your hands? Yeah. Oh, so then people who have Raynaud's are more likely Correct. to get it uh, while breastfeeding. Yeah. There's so, just this intense shift of uh, blood flow, not having blood. The spasm is in the blood vessels. Right. So they alter where the blood flow goes and right. can be really painful. So it would happen to you right when you would start to feed or? It would happen actually between feedings. Oh, wow. And then you have the normal like cracking and like in the beginning, it's very traumatic to look down and see your baby with a mouthful of blood from your nipples. Oh, that's, that's not, not great. It feels not right. Yeah, guys wouldn't do it. No. And she has this teeny little mouth, and she's not the best latch, you know. I don't know, you know. So she she always ate fine. She's a super chunky monkey. She has not missed a meal. Like she's <laughs> a good eater, but it hurt hurt really badly for a while. And now she's a good eater, but it's difficult for her to take a bottle. She's not great with the bottle. So that's our daily challenge: is to make sure she, she gets a bottle at least once a day. Because otherwise, first of all, for safety, I don't. What if something happens to me, God forbid, and she can't take a bottle? That's not great for her. But also for my freedom, it's terrifying to think that I'd be so locked into never being able to get away. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I think she likes you. She does. She's so (laughs) cute and she's so funny and she's the best. Gosh, I love so many of the things that you have shared. Thank you. That you have shared so openly. I love, unfortunately that you needed to tap into the space you held for your birth plan changing. You know, it could have changed in other ways. It could have definitely been more off path than you thought it would be. But really from the very beginning, you never had a chance of having that. There was a detour before you left the driveway. Yes. Two. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Um, But you held space for it and you powered through it. 
I really like that you brought up because I don't think anybody's talked about it that way. Just the other people in the room. I think people think about it a lot during earlier parts of labor, but like when they put in that call, hey, we're delivering in whatever room, just like sometimes tons of people come in there. You yeah. don't know who they are. There's no time to introduce them. And we just assume you're out of it and don't care, you know, sometimes. And you probably do care. A lot of people do. So thank you for bringing that up. And then the other thing is that sometimes the baby, no matter how long or how challenging a birth is, you sometimes see that baby just come out and go on the chest and like a shell comes off of her instantly, the mother, and she's a mom. And right. she's so bonded to that baby and so removed from everything that just happened and forever. everything that's happening now. You're delivering the placenta and they're massaging your uterus and squeezing it to make sure that it's clotting well and just stitching you. You sometimes look at her and she's like totally removed from it and just focused on that baby and so bonded. And sometimes it's not like that at all. And that's okay too. So, and then sometimes you have bloody cracked nipples and <laughs> you can power through it. And After about... Two weeks, I called my girlfriend who had had twins about six months before me. And I called her. I said, oh, my God. I said, Elijah, you're a badass. You're amazing. She was like, I was waiting for this call. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. All of you are amazing. All of you are amazing. No matter they how you are. do it, you are all freaking amazing. It blows my mind every time. It never gets old. Being there, hearing about it, just never yeah. gets old. It's incredible what you do. Um, I guess my last question for you is, uh, in retrospect, I know you would have done the cord differently, but is there anything else you would have done differently? I would have kicked those people out of the room, for yes. sure. The boot. I would have, I was just kind of going along during the day, you know, assuming that I would dilate. I really should have given more respect to what I knew I needed, which was sort of darkness and more stillness, more sort of hibernation to really get into labor. I think that would have helped me more. To go into your own space. To go into my own space. And settle into your labor pattern on right. your own. That's one of those things that it's really hard to know and, until you have retrospect vision. So, 2020. Hindsight. And it's 2020. And Um. Thank you so much for coming and sharing and being you. Thank you for having me. I also remember from the first episode, you said we can find you on Instagram at Jillian Sure, but you only post like once a year. Did that change now that you have a baby? You mean have I become Are a you crazy posting a little poster? More? Yeah. No. Okay. No, but I am trying to be better about posting, but I do post. Like today I posted a picture of her not sleeping. Oh. Because she was not sleeping all day. I think my wife will post a picture one day of me sleeping. He slept today. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to see that picture. (laughs) At home, thanks, as always, for listening to us. If you have any topic suggestions, believe it or not, we take them and we make episodes and we do them. And they're coming in fast and furious. Don't stop. We love your suggestions and your feedback. To info at informedpregnancy.com.